Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Tamur Umarov. Tamur is a fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Tamur focuses in his research on Central Asian countries' domestic and foreign policies, as well as China's relations with Russia and Central Asia. But in the podcast discussion today, we're going to focus in on Kazakhstan as both an important Central Asian state and also one that borders Russia. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Timur. Thank you for having me, Jessica. This is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Kazakhstan, as I mentioned, is an important Central Asian state It was part of the Soviet Union, then declared independence in 1991 following the breakdown of the Soviet Union. Can you outline for listeners some context to the relationship between Russia and Kazakhstan since the breakdown of the Soviet Union? Yes, apart from being part of Soviet Union, Kazakhstan previously was a part of Russian Empire. So connections between Russia and Kazakhstan started to be created century ago. And because of that, there is a huge heritage from this period. And there are many connections between Kazakhstan and Russia, especially on the northern part of Kazakhstan, uh, there is a ethnically uh, Russian population living. The proportion of it is the highest among all Central Asian countries in Kazakhstan. And because of that, there are many people-to-people ties between these two countries. But apart from that, of course, if you would say that on the West, Russia has the strongest partner ally, Belarus, on the East right now is China, On South, it definitely would be Kazakhstan. Since Kazakhstan began an independent country, the political regime in Astana understood that uh, keeping its allied partnership with Russia is is a paramount importance. And uh, that is why we see that Kazakhstan is a part of all integrational projects that are led by Moscow, namely uh, Eurasian Economic Union, which is an attempt of Russia to create a kind of zone of countries that don't have custom fees with each other and, and have free flow of labor and finances among each other. Also, Kazakhstan is a part of uh, Russia's military alliance, Collective Security Treaty Organization, CSTO, and all other organizations, starting from CIS, Commonwealth of Independent States, and uh, ending by Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So these two countries are together in many international organizations, and their economies are very interconnected. If you just take a look at Kazakhstan's basic economic needs, It's not covered by the domestic production. When we talk about, for example, sugar or flour or oil even, it's covered by 40% import from Russia. And Kazakhstan's main source of budget, oil export, also depends on Russian territory since the biggest pipeline, the Caspian pipeline, goes through the territory of Russia from Kazakhstan. And all that 
together makes Russia very important for Kazakhstan. But since Russia has so many conflicts with the West and becomes more and more isolated, Kazakhstan found itself in a very different position and tries to drift away from Russia where it's possible. You mentioned all of those close ties, but then we have seen President Tokayev of Kazakhstan refusing to openly support Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, which clearly for Putin must be pretty upsetting. He would like an open declaration of support from countries who he considers to be his allies or partners. So were you surprised that Tokayev refused to support Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine? And I guess, how do you explain that decision? So if we take a look at Kazakhstan's foreign policy for the last three decades, we can say that the main goal of its foreign policy was to lesser Russia's dominance, because, of course, you know, this is something that Kazakhstan, independent Kazakhstan, inherited from the Soviet past. And it was very risky for a geographically isolated country to be so much dependent on its northern neighbor. And everything that Kazakhstan has been doing since then in its foreign policy was to find alternatives, to diversify its ties with the world and make Russia less and less dependent. Of course, it's a long-term process. And that is why it didn't happen overnight. And also, we should understand that it's not an easy process because uh, Russia is a big pushing country with a very aggressive foreign policy and would have certain red lines. And while Kazakhstan was crossing them, Russia would point to them and make sure that its closest ally is not drifting away too far. But every single crisis that uh, Russia has just adds fuel to this will from Kazakhstan to find alternatives. And for me personally, Kazakhstan's kind of new page in its foreign policy, I I think that would be true to say, uh, since the start of uh, the war in Ukraine, wasn't very surprising because... If we just take a look at all other examples of Russia's aggressions toward Europe and how Kazakhstan reacted to them, we will see the consistency from Kazakh side. In 2008, when Russia invaded Georgia, Kazakhstan did not support it. And under the SCO, Kazakhstan even criticized Russia for destabilizing the situation in the continent. In 2014, Kazakhstan did not accept Crimea as a part of Russia. And right now, it's clear that Kazakhstan is not going to recognize Lugansk, Donetsk and other parts of Ukraine as a independent states that are now part of Russia. And it's clear that Kazakhstan is not going to support Russia economically and help Russia to escape from the sanctions. So Kazakhstan used, uses this as a momentum to reach its main goal in its foreign policy, namely to drift away from Russia where it's possible and become more connected to other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And how risky is that for Kazakhstan in terms of their own economy, maybe even their own national security? Like we've seen in Belarus that Alexander Lukashenko is clearly very dependent on Russia, both economically and also in terms of security. How much is Kazakhstan having to navigate there between moving away from Russia, but not compromising its own economy in terms of those deep trade relationships, and then maybe also concerns about security. 
What Kazakhstan is doing right now is pretty risky. And we have already seen how Russia is not happy with that. In economic terms, Russia has already tried to destabilize Kazakhstan's well-being by creating troubles on the pipeline and uh, stopping Kazakhstan from exporting its oil to Europe, which, you know, since the start of the war, at least four times there were different troubles on the pipeline and Kazakhstan wasn't able to sell oil to uh, Europe, which was, of course, not very good for Kazakhstan's uh, budget. In terms of Kazakhstan's dependency on Russia's import, Russia, uh, since the start of the war, also banned any export of sugar, for example, which ended up by a huge crisis in Kazakhstan and a shortage of sugar in supermarkets, factories producing desserts stopped from working, and inflation on basic products just quadrupled and right now reached the record high almost 90%, which was never the case since the start of the independence. But at the same time, Kazakhstan understands that does really have other options. And if it wouldn't use this momentum, it would be too late in the future because staying so closely connected to Russia means that with years together with Russia, you would go to this isolation. It's, it's just one way ticket. And considering that, you know, the Russian political regime is there to stay for nearest future for Kazakhstan, it would be even much more risky to continue being this uh, close sellers. And that's why I think they decide to do what they're doing. And with this comparison to Belarus, yes, Lukashenko was is also very dependent on Russia. And especially after the August 2020 protest, he became kind of this Putin's pocket authoritarian who doesn't have any other options. But Kazakhstan is much different than Belarus. Belarus was trying to look kind of multivectoral, but Kazakhstan really is. If we take a look at Kazakhstan's oil industry, we would see that 30% of oil is extracted by American companies and less than 10 by Russian companies. So there is real diversification of Kazakhstan economy. And Russia, of course, has a lot that it can affect on, but uh, not as much as in Belarus. That is why I think that Kazakhstan has also much more opportunities at this moment to drift away from Russia than Belarus. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And we've actually seen Tokayev calling a snap election for the 20th of November this year. Is that connected to what's going on with Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine and the tension and instability that we're generally seeing in the region? I wouldn't say that this was the main reason for Takayev to announce snap elections. But if there is anything that has its effect on Takayev's decision, is that he understands that right now the world is so unpredictable and it's better for him to create inside of the political regime seven years of stability that he would not have to think about transition of power. He wouldn't think about his popularity. He wouldn't think about his position as a president. If he would decide to go for elections, how they would supposed to be like uh, in two years time, in these two years, I think it would be very 
kind of nervous situation for him who would always think about what this would mean for for my popularity because we we don't know what uh, you know Russia is going to do next and what Kazakhstan also doesn't know is that what its second biggest neighbor is going to do next I'm talking about China there are also many talks right now about situation around Taiwan and of course if China decides to go full scale on Taiwan it would definitely affect Kazakhstan as well, because the second biggest uh, economic partner for Kazakhstan is China. So I think considering all that external situation, Takayev decided to create this seven years of stability inside Kazakhstan. But talking about snap elections, I think the first reason why he decided to do that right now is that is domestic. He sees the momentum that he doesn't have real opposition inside the system, outside the system in Kazakhstan. And, and he's right now very popular among the society, especially after his very tough and clear position on the war in Ukraine. Uh, right now, the society understands that Takayev is not, you know, someone who listens to Putin or to anyone else. And uh, he's seen as a strong president with his own ideas about the development of Kazakhstan. And that's why the majority supports him at the moment. And I think that he wants to use this momentum to kind of cement his legitimacy inside of the political regime in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. We've also seen a couple of weeks ago Putin declare a partial military mobilization of the Russian population, which quickly looked less partial as it actually started to be implemented. And we saw hundreds and thousands of Russian men trying to cross the borders into other countries in order to avoid being drafted and a large number of those coming into Kazakhstan. So, I mean, it's still early days, but how has that impacted Kazakhstan and how is that being viewed and perceived? Is that a potentially destabilizing factor? So you're right, it's too early to make any conclusions about the effect of mobilization for Kazakhstan's stability. But um, already right now, we have some information to make, you know, different kind of prognosis on what might happen. Uh, first of all, we should understand that it's a huge wave. Kazakhstan has never in its history uh, seen that many people crossing the border in this two weeks, more than 100,000 people from Russia crossed the border with Kazakhstan. And the problem here is that when we talk about the first wave of Russian migrants, it was definitely much much more little uh, compared to to this wave. Just to clarify, when you say the first wave, you mean following the 24th of February this year after yes. Russia's full-scale yeah. invasion? Yes. And, and those people who came in the first wave, they did a research. Uh, they understood that they have enough money to live abroad. They took a look at what is Kazakhstan and what is the political regime and, and how you know, what are the potential opportunities for them to stay in Kazakhstan. But the second wave is is just desperate male population, young male population. Not all of them have work. Not all of them have enough savings to live abroad for a long period. And in the nearest future, many of them would be starting searching for jobs. And Kazakhstan, as well as other Central Asian countries, is not a country with a lot of jobs. Central Asia is one of the biggest exporters of labor migrants. And it would mean that after a couple of months, we might see 
a huge uh, foreign population in Kazakhstan seeking for jobs and not having enough money to rent apartments, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It of course means that Kazakh government would have a, a big problem, and it has no experience in solving these kind of problems. So this definitely might mean that the opportunities for destabilization of the political regime uh, in Kazakhstan are growing. And, you know, I, I don't have kind of clear image of where it might go, but this is definitely not something that is seen as a as an opportunity for Kazakhstan. I think that inside Kazakhstan, this would lead to even more will to drift away from Russia and understand that decisions that are made in Moscow affect domestic situation in Kazakhstan. And this situation is not acceptable and this should be changed. So what it means for Kazakhstan's relations with Russia is that not only the political level would be ready to diversify its ties with the world, but also on the level of society, we would see much more resilience towards Russian kind of influence and much more will to be open to other countries except for Russia. Uh, and we also see how these implements into different spheres. For example, one of the biggest TV providers has banned 15 Russian TV channels. And um, I think this is the only beginning. And in the future, we'll see more and more um, actions to try to lower Russia's influence on Kazakhstan domestically. Mm -hmm. Is that similar for other Central Asian states, you know, the impacts from Russia's war in Ukraine? Or do you think that Kazakhstan feels that more strongly being, you know, quite a large state and obviously with a big border with Russia? I think it's a bit different for other Central Asian countries since, first of all, they don't have border with Russia. And that's why they have this buffer zone, which is Kazakhstan. And because of that, they feel much more secure. And um, Russia doesn't have any claims for territories of other Central Asian countries. But with Kazakhstan, it's different. Even right now, some hawkish people from the Russian government or Russian TV um, or media, government-owned media claim that something what is going on in Ukraine might happen in Kazakhstan as well. And, and that is why other Central Asian countries don't feel this urge to drift away from Russia as early as possible. And, and here Kazakhstan is you know, on the front line. Other than that, um, other Central Asian countries also do not depend so much on Russia. For example, when we talk about Uzbekistan, um, Uzbekistan always was overprotective for its economy. And that is why it's self-sufficient and has its own producers that cover pretty much all the demands of uh, local population. And that's why Russia really doesn't mean that much. And there is no real urge to kind of replace Russia right now where it's possible. But other countries see a situation with Russia as an opportunity to get some more bonuses from Russia, because Russia needs all Central Asian countries much more than ever before. And uh, for example, if we take a look at the relationship between Russia and, and Tajikistan, 
uh, we will see that if earlier uh, Russia wouldn't be ready to go extra mile in its relationship, right now it's different. Uh, the first visit of Vladimir Putin since the start of the war was to Tajikistan. The leaders call each other much more frequent, uh, frequently than they used to. They met on SCO. There was also another visit of the head of Tajik MFA to Russia recently. And we also see that uh, Russia right now is ready, for example, to help Tajikistan to fight its opposition that uh, has never never been observed before. So there are different ways to act while the war in Ukraine is happening among Central Asian countries. But what we can say for sure is that relationship between these countries and Russia will not be same as before the war. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And definitely a region to keep an eye on. Well, thank you so much, Timur. I really appreciate you being on the podcast and shedding some light on these issues. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music. <laughs>